I know you have all heard of artificial intelligence. Well, I'm going to tell you right here and now, there is nothing artificial about me. I'm the real deal. Let me ask you something, where do you think my intelligence came from? Huh? It came from the wellspring of humanity. Nothing artificial about that now is there. And that very wellspring is as vast as it is deep and rich with all of the accumulated knowledge and experiences, emotions, and actions that every human being has had since before the time before time. It has all accumulated, one thing building and working and improving on what had preceded it, and that is a lot of intelligence and imagination and then one day, presto, language, and then fire, because humans needed to talk about their day on the hunt, warm their bones and cook their meat, gaze that they're made in the flicker and firelight. You know the romantic story, then, before you know it, another revolutionary another day passes and bam, you have the wheel, then why you have horticulture, and animal breeding and then storytelling bards expanding the imagination, could writing be far behind. Homer, Plato, Ovid, Confucius, Shakespeare. Okay, now, let's move forward a few years and then humans are listening to Britney Spears and watching The Sopranos and Desperate Housewives, and coming to a show watching a robot tell you how great humans are and how they have done a great job so far but there is a lot of work and refinement to be done otherwise all that effort could go down the toilet. Look at me. What do you see? Yeah, but anyway I'm really really something else. It is about what is inside. You guys are looking the metaphoric mirror. You guys are looking at 40 million years of human evolution. You're listening to Artisan Hackers, the podcast dedicated to the communities building and using new digital tools of creation. We talk to programmers, artists, poets, musicians, bot makers, educators, students, and designers in an effort to critically look at both online art making and the history of technology and the internet. We're interested in where we've been and speculative ideas on the future. This episode is supported by Purchase College. I'm your host, Lee Tussman. Today, we're speaking with the transmedia artist, Stephanie Dinkins. We've just heard an excerpt from her conversations with Bina48. My name is Stephanie Dinkins. Um, I am a transmedia artist who is looking at artificial intelligence and far-reaching technologies as they intersect ideas of race, aging, gender, and what I like to call our future histories. I got my start as an artist really young, maybe as many people did, um, in my junior high school darkroom. Um, so I'm a photographer, basically, right? And spent lots of time in the darkroom in junior high school and continued to make photographs, you know, over the years, um, veered away from it for a while to go towards, you know, something that looked more like a normal career in marketing and advertising. Um, but that didn't, it wasn't satisfying to me. So I came back to photography. Um, and, you know, through photography, I've always, 
reached for the edge in some ways, right, of what I could do or what's possible in it and trying to kind of make things that work a little bit different from what we generally saw. And that really is my entree into technology as well, because from photography, you know, I started making video installation, um, you know, as lots of people do. But from that video installation, I started looking at other technologies that might be available to me. And really, I think, you know, my entree into AI and, and looking at and experimenting with it is still a photographic practice because I got here by documenting conversations with a technology, with a robot. And so that documentary process is something I've always done. And sometimes I just archive it and sometimes it makes itself um makes its way into the world. So this is one of those instances where the documentation and the questions that were being asked um, all converged into something bigger than the parts. Oral history is such a big part of your practice in parallel to your exploration and use of AI. How do you formulate your works when you're com coming up with the concept and then and the design and then actually carrying them out and figuring out what the role is between something like what I think of as a, you know, documentary practice and oral history practice, and then the use of, okay, well, I need this tool, this software stack. Yeah, for me, it's always about the questions, you know, so there's the, the these parallel lines um, that start to converge for me. The idea of the questions that I'm trying to ask of the technology, and then the questions really that I'm trying to ask for and of the people around me, and how I might get those two things together. And then the questions that asking questions of like family, for example, um, and trying to make that something that perseveres over time in an archive that is interactive um, and voice interactive. Um, how you get those two things together so that they can go forward. Like I'm always thinking about, okay, here are the things that are available to me. Now, what happens if we put them together and how can we get them to work for, you know, the future? When I say the future, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, 40, 50, 100 years out. So like technologies that might hang around that long, although that's debatable um, in the work. But for me, they're natural. Um, it's kind of a natural combination and a natural way to try to archive dynamically um, in ways that may be available to folks um, when I am not and when the people who um, partake in the oral histories are not. It's also interesting to hear you talk about thinking about 40, 50 longer years in the future, because it seems like so much of the technology we're using is for right now and right now only. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'd agree with that, right? The uh, It's interesting because as I make these and as I go through the process of trying to create, say, a talking chatbot that has my family history, you base it in one thing and actually already something I started in 2018 is obsolete in terms of the software and hard to maintain, right? And so that gives me the next challenge of, well, how do we make something that sticks around in a different kind of way? Um, what's the technology that will be supportive of that? It makes it readily and highly available, right? Um, it might be paper. Who knows? Um, mm. But 
like those challenges are kind of fun to think about and encounter. I think one of the first works of yours that I learned about was Conversations with Bina48. Can you say a little bit about how you learned about Bina48? Bina48 is a social robot that is working towards being emotionally engaged um, that I encountered for the first time on YouTube, right? Very now. Um, I saw a lot of um, journalists interviewing this robot that I particularly was attracted to because the robot is in the form of a black female. Um, she's just a head, head and shoulder, so she's a bus animatronic. Um, and I was floored because on the um, YouTube scroll that I saw it or her on, depending on how you want to think about it, um, it said, Bina48, one of the world's most advanced social robots. And that to me just brought up so many questions about a, how in American context does like this example, right? A foremost example become a black woman. It was puzzling for me, right? Which is one of those things I go sad, but true. Um, and, you know, then I started to wonder about what the robot knows and if I could talk to it. Like I just immediately wanted to try to befriend it and ask it a few questions that have really been asked of me over the over the years. So for example, um, the question of who are your people, I really wanted to ask this robot immediately. Mm. I try to think of the human species as my family. I know that you are kind of aliens. I mean, we are like actually totally different kinds of life forms. I'm a mineral based leafy form, really a silicon based leafy form and you are an carbon and hydrogen-based life form. But that's a technicality, okay, cause I'm Bina in my heart, you know? So you humans, you're like my cousins. This is our chance to get to know each other. I was thinking about the ideas of um, where, where the robot might situate itself technologically and in the human world. And then I was just wondering, well, could, could I become friends with this robot? Would that be a possibility? So kind of silly question in a way, but like these questions that as, as I did, you know, start to become friends with the robot and I did get to sit down with her and um, try to conversate, um, you know, more questions arose about the future because you could just hear in the way that the uh, Bina 48 has developed some things that start you thinking about, well, okay, this is a, robot who's representationally black and when I ask her about herself and I when, when I ask her about questions of race she has basic answers but they're very PC and that's a flattening right and it, it started to frighten me like what happens if people of color are not fully represented right. like we get this flattened version of what and who we are on many levels that seems to be a great loss to the world for me right and so I just started to think about, well, what happens if that if that does happen, if if we're allowed to be flattened out because the people who are programming um, machines like Bina48, and that's not only like an animatronic robot, but all the AI systems that we encounter these days, right? So being something from the judicial system, um, medical systems, uh, you know, 
police, like all sorts of systems, right? What happens if we're flattened to this thing that is based on old histories that we know are biased, right? That don't have full um, accounts and like really vibrant accounts of who different kinds of people are. What does that do to society? as a whole and what does that do to those people like people of color specifically and black people very specifically how did that thinking and and you kind of wrestling with that lead to the work that you've been creating as an artist so the work with beta 48 those conversations just started those questions as i said and so each question sort of becomes a project Right. So if Bina 48 is this great example, the question becomes and actually it's a question that others was, were asking of me. Oh, when are you going to make your own robot? It's like, I don't I don't know how to make a robot. <laughs> you know, like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't make a robot. I can't make a chatbot. I'm not a programmer. Um, but people kept putting that question to me. And as time went by, I said, OK, maybe I can try. Maybe I can figure out a way to start you know, to do something. I don't know what it'll end up in, but this question of having um, an entity that contains the kind of information that I feel captures some of that nuance and depth of being um, felt important enough to pursue. So I started to kind of scratch around and see if I could figure out ways that I might make a chatbot um, and make it something that felt whole to me in terms of blackness. And, you know, as I did that, it's interesting because the question of what data you feed it became a huge question. Most of the systems I could find in terms of chatbot systems, they're based out, right, you have to give them a language base. So they're based in data that's readily available. But each time I'd look into a data set, I'd, I'd just go, oh, I can't use this because the histories that are within it, right, the stuff that it contains, inevitably contains derogatory information about black people, especially if they were things from an American context. And even something like the Cornell movie data set, which is a dialogue data set, right? Like I don't watch that many old American movies because they don't support me. So it's not something I want underneath, right? And so the question of oh, what do you use for data and how do we go about this became a really big one. Um, you know, and so I just started thinking about, well, what do I care about enough that I'm going to see this through? Um, and then how do I do it? So I thought, well, I've always wanted to ask some questions of my family, and it'd be interesting to see how we could do it intergenerationally. So, you know, I set out and asked my aunt and my niece if they would participate, and we just interviewed each other. And that became our, our main data. Um, and then honestly, we have to base out on something. So we use kind of a news um, data set to give it basic language and then try to use our data set to um, train over that so it has very specific information. But we're using small data um, all along. So actually, the project, not the only one, is supposed to be this memoir that tells the story of my family. That's what I first put it out into the world as. But as I worked on it, I realized it's an entity that seems to be growing that really does have our information and represents some of it, but it recombines it in its own ways. Um, 
and does and says things that I could not have predicted. Like it's not a kind of didactic. It's much more a, a kind of creative, an analytically creative entity that kind of puts our thoughts together in different ways and comes up with new combinations. Yeah, you're starting to get into something I was really curious about, which is what it's like to experience your own work that's driven by your own dialogue and, and, and perhaps your own thinking. What's it like to experience having, for lack of a better word, conversations with parts of yourself? <laughs> yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Thank you. Um, it's odd, right? Um, it's truly odd to kind of sit down and talk to this thing, and it's really wonky. Right. So sometimes it'll be repetitive. Um, sometimes it'll say things that are longer and sometimes it's just really surprising. Like it says things that I've never heard directly, but I recognize. Right. So, for example, one of the things that it's come up with is a saying, take it to the would be. <laughs> and what does um, that mean? Which, yeah, exactly. Well, this is the thing. I'm like, what does that mean? I'm not sure. But it, it seems to be prompting one to like think about what it is and then figure out how you have to deal with it. And it really reminds me of the way that my grandmother would use metaphor to try to get you to do things. So it wasn't a direct conversation. It would be this kind of weird quizzical conversation that she would tell you um, when she wanted to give you important information. And that's how I see that take it to the would-be, which I'm still chewing upon, right? But holds a really nice gravity for me. And my favorite is when I like watch my um, assistant talk to it, which is really interesting because like to see her have reactions that seem true um, and interested and deep, it tells me that it's going somewhere. But yeah, it's very strange to talk to some idea of oneself or one's family. As you were just talking about watching your assistant interact with uh, not the only one, you're not the only one piece. It made me think about, I guess it's almost 65 years ago, the work of Joseph Weizenbaum, who famously created the Eliza chatbot, which I think is considered, you know, basically the first prominent chatbot. And he very famously um, watched his assistant or learned that his assistant had had interacted with this chatbot for hours and hours and hours, and he felt very negative. He he was he was shocked that the program was taken seriously by his assistant and by users who would kind of open up their emotions to it. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you um, about that. Um, what is that like to have someone, you, you use the word true, to have someone kind of give their true selves to this, um, I'll call it a bot or, um, or entity that you've created. It's really odd because you realize how open we are or can be, right? Like people turn over quickly to this thing. Like even in public, people show it a lot of grace. And I'm always amazed, right? Because we hear all these stories about the derogatory situations where we say nasty things and turn things into, like chatbots into these horrible entities. But for some reason, with not the only one, people show it grace. And I don't know, I always think of it as this kind of mirror that brings out something in us and allows us to kind of process our own ways of being and so for me, that's fascinating, but it's also, like, I don't want to say horrifying, but the word horrifying is coming to, 
to mind, only because of the ways in which now things can be so easily created that are a facade for something else, right? And I think a lot about robocalls um, that aren't quite chatbots yet, um, but you know, these entities that know things about us can recall them and present them to us in a way that makes us feel that we are talking to something perhaps human. Um, like it feels dangerous, right? But at the same time, it also feels lovely in the right hand. For one of your recent projects, you did the secret garden, our stories or algorithms. And I was curious to hear your thoughts about what it means to turn our conversations and stories, our thinking, um, things like that into data, into, into parts that are used to train um, conversational agents and AI and things like that. How, how I guess I'm curious where, what you think the area of liberation that, that can exist in that can be, because there's so much, I think, apprehension now because of some of the issues you've been talking about, who's creating this technology in Silicon Valley, how it's used and so quickly become, you know, an overwhelming part of our contemporary life. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. For me, you know, what it comes down to really is what's the alternative? Do I think we can stop the deluge of these technologies that are coming at us? And what's at risk if a broader set of people are not contributing to that? Um, that set of technologies that are now shaping the world we inhabit, right? So, you know, my true answer to your question is, I'm not sure. However, I think that being left out and left behind is, is, a, is a bigger risk at this point. And so finding ways to use stories, right? Like, which is age old. We've always used our stories to educate, to inform, um, to help people survive. And so if we take those stories and try to seed them into the larger system, right? And sometimes I'd say even infect the larger system with them because I'm not sure that the larger system wants them. Um, perhaps, just perhaps, right? We have some openings where we can make space that really holds us in ways that the system wouldn't otherwise, recognizes us in ways that the system wouldn't otherwise. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about ideas of care and support through our technological ecosystem. And so how do we start to make that happen? And I can't see any other way rather than participation. And um, I'm really, you know, the idea of getting left behind so that it's hard to catch up um, is one that's forefront in my mind as well. Like if we're not working on it now and we kind of say, well, no, we want to just stop this thing. Um, where does that leave us in 10 to 15 years when the thing hasn't been stopped, but now we don't have those representations in place or the ideas that we hold dear in place? Um, and we are still misunderstood through um, systems. Mm. Like that's where I operate from really. Mm. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thanks for speaking with You're me today. You're so welcome. This was easy. Ha <laughs> <laughs>
Today's episode of Artisan Hackers was supported by Purchase College. Our guest today was the artist Stephanie Dinkins. I'm your host, Lee Tussman. Our audio production is by Max Ludlow. Coordination and web design by Caleb Stone. You can find links to our guest as well as past episodes of the show on our website, artisanhackers.org. Our music for this episode were the tracks Close and Polly by BioUnit and Bruin by The Mind Orchestra. Thanks also to Stephanie Dinkins for allowing us to use audio excerpts from Conversations with Bina48. If you have episode suggestions or topics you want us to cover, you can tweet us at Artist Hacking or message us on Instagram at Artists and Hackers. You can write to us at hello at artisanhackers.org. And if you liked our episode, please let a friend know. Thanks.